If you like the Live Wild podcast and enjoy hunting-related apparel, I've got you covered. I just launched some great t-shirts, hats, and sweatshirts under my own Live Wild brand. You can find them now on my website, remywarren.com. I just want to say thanks again, everyone, for all the support, and I really hope you enjoy these designs as much as I do. Who knows? Maybe you'll head over to my website and find your next lucky hat. I'm Remy Warren, and I've lived my life in the wild. As a professional guide and hunter, I've spent thousands of days perfecting my craft. I want to give that knowledge to you. In this podcast, we relive some of my past adventures as I give you practical hunting tips to make you more successful. Whether you're just getting started or a lifelong hunter, this podcast will bring you along on the hunt and teach you how to live wild. This podcast is presented by Mountain Tough and Yeti. I partnered with Mountain Tough because a lot of the tactics and hunt styles I talk about in this podcast require you to be in the best physical shape you can. Their app is designed for hunters to get you ready for the backcountry or any hunt you have planned this fall. Yeti's been a longtime supporter of mine, and they make some of the toughest products out there that are built to last and they're built for the wild. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Live Wild Live podcast. So we're going to get started here in just a few seconds. Thanks for everybody that's calling. We've got the lines pretty full up. I'm really excited today because uh, not only do I get to talk hunting with you guys, but we've also got a pretty incredible prize for one lucky caller. We've got the new Stone Glacier Solus one-person tent. I'm really stoked on this. I actually got to test this out in a lot of different trains, but uh, one of my favorite hunts with it was British Columbia last year. It was a 14-day backpack hunt, and this tent was just perfect for that. Lightweight, a lot of room, two vestibules for all your gear. Like I, You can definitely tell that this was designed by guys that hunt. It has everything that hunters need. It's lightweight. It's under five pounds, um, easy to carry for yourself. So I'm really stoked to be giving one of those away to someone. And yeah, I'm, I'm excited. It's, it's the middle of hunting season. A lot of you guys have been out already. Uh, some of you guys are just prepping for some hunts coming up. So let's jump into your questions. I just ask, you know, uh, when we get to your call, give me your name, maybe where you're from, and then and then we'll just go into the question and talk hunting. All right. Well, let's jump to our first caller. Looks like it's Daniel here. This is Daniel? Hey, how's it going? Yeah, it's Daniel. Yeah, welcome <laughs> to the Live Wild Podcast, man. Oh, thanks, man. I'm, uh, yeah, I'm from British Columbia. Me and my brother's up here, and we, we just love the show, man. We're listening all the time, and we actually just got back from an elk hunt, and a lot of the things and the tactics that you uh, talk about bulling an elk, we ended up about four hours chasing one in thick timber, and we ended up getting the job done. It was my first bull, so thanks for all the September bull advice and all of that. Yeah, awesome. Congratulations. That's that's really cool when it comes together. There's nothing better than calling in a bull elk or getting on a bull elk and and getting one down so good work guys that's yeah. awesome oh, you both ran me over a couple of times it was great and hey my question heading into october um up here it's any buck season pretty busy I was just wondering when you're looking at areas is there specific details uh, that you're looking for when you're scouting deciding where to go and then the secondary question a typical day like first light mid-morning middle of the day late late in the day is there other specific things you're looking to do uh, when it comes to October mule deer hunting. Yeah, definitely. So I think the first thing, 
you know, when I'm looking for areas, it kind of depends on the type of country. You know, I'm imagining BC country would be similar to some of the stuff that we have in Northwestern Montana or, or Idaho, right? Um, it's like mm-hmm. that mountain kind of Alpine type country. And when I'm in that, I'm looking for a couple of things. First, I'm looking for, all right, uh, maybe so I actually kind of gravitate toward those bigger mountain areas. Um, and then I look for those bigger mountain areas where there might be some more visibility. So areas where there might be some burns and other things in there. Um, because I know that, you know, a lot of those bucks will be summering kind of up in the Alpine. And by this October portion, they've kind of pulled down off the mountain and they're going to be in most areas in a lot of that timber. But I'm looking for those areas where it's like, okay, here's some basins and some other areas that maybe don't have as much timber where the deer might think that they're hidden, but they aren't going to be as hidden as well as they think. And that gives me a little bit of an opportunity. So I'm going to kind of pick my area based on that. Um, and then the next thing I'm going to do is like throughout the day. So my, the first more beginning in the morning and evening, I'm always going to be glassing. I'm going to be on a good glassing vantage and I'm going to sit there until that portion where I think they're going to be moving off any kind of food source. So I'll be, you know, kind of doing more long range glassing, checking out those little water seeps in the mountain. Um, especially if it's like, okay, I'm sitting in this ideal spot. It's a big burn. Um, I'm maybe a third of the way up the mountain. I'm sitting there and I've got like little seeps that I can look at, maybe some brushy areas, some spots that haven't burned, a little bit of patchwork. Maybe it's even more like a, uh, maybe it's a logged area or somewhere where there's just a little bit of clearing where that browse can grow. Because you think about mule deer, right? They, they aren't necessarily looking for the same grasses that elk are. So yeah, you can check meadows and other things, but they might not be necessarily hitting those because they're looking for that more like, browse they they those like woody shrubs those things like any kind of anywhere you can find that like regrowth of that shrubbery that's kind of what they're going to be focused on and eating um so that's that's what i'm looking for and and i'm just kind of glassing for that feeding water possibly edges of cover kind of stuff um checking out the ridge lines as well where they might be traveling those ridge lines to and from bedding then as the day progresses, I'm going to start like, you know, moving and checking those pockets that I couldn't see from that vantage where it's like, man, if there's a deer bedded in here, it's going to be really hard to see. And most of the time it's moving on like, um, within that kind of same elevation range, but moving on those ridge lines and dropping into those little pockets and just checking those little things. And then the evening again, same thing. If I, throughout the day, I find spots like, man, this looks really good. I'm going to be set up and I'm going to be glassing and just waiting for those that catch that movement of deer moving in the mornings and evenings. Sweet. Super helpful. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. Yeah. Well, appreciate it. Good luck. Make sure to keep me posted on your success of your deer hunt. And, uh, be interested. Hopefully it uh, works out like your elk hunt did. Yeah, for sure. Thanks, Remy. Yep. Have a good one. Talk to you later. Bye. All right. I'm going to jump into our next caller. Welcome to the Live Wild Podcast. Hello. Hey, who am I talking to? Hey, how's it going? Uh, my name's Austin. Um, I'm from Colorado, and I saw your post and Stone Glacier's post about the tent, so I wanted to get on here and ask you a couple questions. I was, I've was i been hunting bear all month. We had a late frost in the spring. I'm guessing that's why there's no acorns, and just been having a really hard time finding bear but my question was i took a couple days to hunt elk with my buddy and the the elk were silent uh just a couple locating bugles here and there but we were getting right up to them and they would not make a noise and we're in the rut here so i wanted to get your opinion on that 
Yeah, is that like, um, were they making noise like early or late and then just shutting up when you got close? Or is it like they just aren't making any noise? Like you're watching elk, but they just are being really quiet. Um, so one example would be we've uh, been periodically calling throughout the morning and then we got up to a spot or we're going to kind of eat some lunch. And my buddy called around a little bit and it was raining super hard and no response all day. And they were pretty quiet in the evening. Then we sit down to eat lunch and one just randomly bugles like he had snuck in and then decided to bugle back at us about an hour after he had bugled before. So then we went up and chased them and they didn't bugle again. We got, turns out we were within about 50 yards of them and they had bedded down right there. It was dark timber and it was raining. We said, let's go eat our lunch, give them a break, not push them too hard. And we went back up to them and we're calling, bugling, and then ended up busting them right there. And then it was like cow call, bugle, any of it. And then you'd hear a stick break up ahead, so we'd kind of sneak up. And they were just basically scooting away from us. Yeah, you know, I mean, it it sounds like, you know, was that like mid-September or like how long ago was that? Because sometimes the timing uh, you know, plays a big factor in how active those elk are going to be. You know, a lot of things play a factor, but timing of the, you know, like what portion of the rut they're in, and as well as just like the temperature and and the weather as well, right? So if it was hot, and then they kind of you got this this rain thing, and it's like okay, it's going to get them going, but maybe a lot of their activity was at night. Um, what happens too is maybe a bull had that herd that probably shouldn't have had that herd. Um, he was bugling to just talk to those cows, but he doesn't want to talk to you guys because you could be a potential threat, right? So sometimes, you know, when you get into the elk, it's like you kind of got to gauge why is that elk bugling and what's the best play from there, man, if he's really timid about bugling, he's probably just talking to those cows. Um, I've had that happen this season where it was like, got a bull to reply, um, but it was like, man, he's just not, he's doing these real soft bugle. And this is actually the bull that I ended up killing, doing this real soft bugle. It's like, okay, this bull is talking to these cows, like saying, no, I'm still here. Don't go over there. But he's not going loud enough where the bull across the way can hear him. He's just doing soft bugles to his cows. Um, or sometimes he'll just, they'll be close enough and they won't be even something you can hear where they're just kind of glunking to those cows going, oh, 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 oh. Yeah. like real um, and what he's doing is he's like, I want to keep these cows, but I don't want to get my ass kicked. And so he's just telling those cows, like, I'm the bull, I'm the bull, even though they can hear this other bull over there. Cause he's just trying to assure them, don't go to that bull. Uh, what I had the, the way that I killed that bull was I waited and he, he just pushed those cows and they bedded. And, um, and I said, okay, I, I got in close. I gave him the cow call and it didn't work. And I ended up just saying, okay, we're going to drop the calls. We're going to sneak in. I snuck in there. I actually bumped him up. Then I hit the bugle out like 20 yards away. Um, you know, but just being like essentially kind of the same thing, like he's listening and looking out, um, bumped him, hit the bugle. And then that got him to be like, oh, well, let's see what that is. And I shot him. Um, you oh, know, nice. so he's kind of determining why like every elk's a little bit different it might not just be the time of year you know you could be in an area and you're like the elk aren't making noise well maybe there isn't a lot of elk in that area and one bulls just pulled them away um another thing to think about too is sometimes in areas where elk aren't making noise sometimes that mid-morning can be a good time to to do some calling 
uh, because you catch those elk that are bedded or off guard that are like, oh, and it's like another bull's cruising in while they're bedded um, and they're close to those cows and it makes them a little bit more, I don't know, for some reason, just apt to check it out. So um, I actually just experienced something very similar where it's like most of the elk that I called in the last couple of weeks have been between the hours of nine and one. Um, which is like, you know, it's so, um, you know, one of, one of those things is like, you know, you, there's not a specific time of day where it only, only bugles work this time of day. Um, you know, as you get into new country, keep broadcasting those location bugles and hopefully something will, will give you a response to be able to make a play. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. Do you think that, is there a way that you can pull, like call a cow away from him and get him riled up is that a feasible tactic you know sometimes it depends on the temperament of the herd right like if he's been chasing them around a lot and they are like ah we don't want this um then you can uh one of the calls that i use a lot is kind of like uh, i would consider it just like a, a trick to try to pull cows off the bull is like a lost cow calf sound um and i just kind of it's like a short and you actually do it quite a bit. Um, and what it does is it like makes the cow think like, Oh, maybe one of our calves is over here and in trouble, not necessarily in trouble, but we got to, we got to check it out. And when one of those cows leaves, sometimes that's enough to make that bull think like, Oh, my herd's getting away from me and come in. It's real hard to get shots that way though. Cause I, I've done it. And it's like the cows come in and then that bull comes in later. So she's already looking and doing her thing. And it's hard to get that bull within the range. But sometimes once you get him pulled off the herd, then I'll actually try sneaking past that cow and rip a bugle. Um, and, and sometimes that's enough to be like, okay, my cows are split up. Now a bull's pulling this other cow off. And then I'll mix in those like estrus cow sounds. So he thinks like, oh, this bull's making that. Or sometimes what I'll do is I'll get in there. I'll try to pull a cow off and I'll do that same like glunking or hitting the tube. Um, and making that like, like it's a bull that's trying to sneak a cow away and they don't like when a bull tries to sneak cows away. So sometimes that's enough to get him to do the same thing, come in and investigate. Okay. That's really good. insight. Yeah. Yeah. We'll give it a try. And, uh, hopefully you got a, uh, is your season, you still got a little bit of season left for elk or is it over? Um, it's pretty much over for my buddy and then I'm done bear hunting, but then for October, uh, first season rifle, my dad has an elk tag, so it'll be some of the similar stories going on here in a couple weeks. Awesome. Right on. Well, best of luck to you guys. Uh, enjoy it out there. All right. Thank you very much. Have a good day. Have a good one. All right. Let's go to our next caller here. Hey, welcome to the podcast. Hey, how's it going? Yeah, pretty good. Who am I talking to? Hey, my name is Brian um, from Pennsylvania. I recently just uh, got done with my first uh, archery elk hunt out uh, in Oregon. And uh, I actually called you the first call in and we spoke for a bit and uh, I was able to connect. So thank you for all the help. Right on. Yeah. I think it was, uh, you're chasing Roosevelt's, right? Yeah. Yeah. Right in the coastal mountains there. So uh, pretty much use some of your scouting techniques that we talked about, um, you know, finding bedding and things like that and was able to, uh, to make it happen. So I really appreciate it. Um, right on. Congratulations. I do have a quick question. Um, yeah. I might have an opportunity in, uh, in March to go to New Zealand. So, uh, for, for work, but if I can time it with the roar, would there be anything that I should be 
like just initial things I should start thinking about for trying to plan a trip like that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it depends. Are you trying to do it like uh, DIY style or go with a guide? Depends like what you're looking for. If you're looking to do it DIY style, you know, you just want to look in like, are you going to the North Island or the South Island? Oh, the North Island. Yeah, and it'd be DIY. Yep. Yeah. I mean, so, um, you know, I, I don't hunt very much on the North Island, but um, not that there isn't, there's, there's great red deer hunting up there. Um, you know, one of the things that they do on the South Island a lot is they have like roar ballot blocks where you, you kind of have to like draw certain areas just for that time of year. Um, so that's right. something to look into, but the Department of Conservation website's the first place to start, you know, finding that, that essentially public land access. Uh, one of the things that, you know, I, I would suggest bringing a bow and not a rifle because the firearms regulations have changed so much that it makes it pretty difficult to successfully bring your own rifle in there. But, uh, you know, there is, there is some great red deer hunting. Uh, I would say like middle to late March would be pretty good. You know, I think of March kind of like September, you know, and I, I like to hit it kind of in the middle to end. It just depends on, uh, just like everything else. But yeah, and then, you know, I mean, practice making that, that roar noise. Be careful when you're out there because there's, you know, a lot of other hunters out there uh, with rifles and other things. But, you know, one of, one of the tactics that I like to use is, is a lot of calling as well. And I try to, it's kind of going to be very similar to that Roosevelt elk country. You're going to be finding those, those kind of uh, places where it can be bedding in that steep, thick country, a lot of jungly kind of stuff. But I let those roars out, try to find a place where I can broadcast that roar into a canyon, just like I would a bugle. You know, a roar sounds kind of a combination between uh, a moo cow and a bear. <laughs> if you're trying okay. to do it. Uh, most, most of those calls are done with your voice. And then, you know, you can have like a, a cow elk sound too. I, I've, I've had success using that as well. Certain times during the roar where you kind of give them the and get, those bulls to come in. Um, and then a, a little bit of spot and stock on the, um, on the tops, but for the most part, it's going to be thick country and just kind of using the calls and a little bit of still hunting technique to get into position to find yourself a redding stag, which it's a lot of fun, man. I highly suggest that if you get the opportunity to do it, uh, it's an incredible hunt. Chasing red deer is a lot of fun. Um, and it's like you get a, another elk hunt throughout the year because it's completely opposite time of the year. So if you can swing it, I would definitely look into it and uh, try to try to organize something like that. It would be a lot of fun. Awesome. Yeah, I think that's really what my plan is. I was, uh, you know, super excited about chasing those rosies and that jungle environment I really, really enjoyed. So if I can get an opportunity to do it again, you know, in March, of course, I'm going to do it. <laughs> definitely. Right on, man. Well, hopefully, hopefully you can call back and say that you had another successful uh, trip. So good luck with you. Good luck to you, awesome. and uh, you yeah, keep me posted on how it goes. I appreciate it. Thank you. Yep. Have a good one. Bye. Bye. All right. Let's go to our next caller here. Hey, welcome to the podcast. Hey, Remy. Yeah, this is Remy. How's it going? Hey. So my name's Cameron, calling from Utah. So you actually shared my cow elk and my buck deer on your story a couple of weeks back. So thanks for your midday elk hunting tips. Um, I'm calling today because I've got two questions. Um, I'm about to go out for an October rifle elk hunt with my wife, and I was curious if I should be looking for anything different during October than I was during late August and September during archery season versus rifle season now. 
Yeah, is it uh, when in October? Because it kind of makes a big difference on, you know. So this, the, this year, the season starts October 8th. And then it's about two weeks long. Yeah, you know, that the nice thing about the early October season is you kind of hit this transition where um, there will still be elk chasing cows. Like, there's still a little bit of rut left. You will still be hearing bugles and other things. Um, you know, it depends on the type, like the unit. Sometimes I don't like to bugle in areas where there's other rifle hunters and whatever, because it just, it, it makes them, it draws them to your position <laughs> in some ways that may not be like. Don't want to become a target. <laughs> yeah, what? unwanted attention right but um you know there there is a thing where it's like early in the morning sometimes before light it, you know if you're in an area where you feel like there's not a lot of other hunters or whatever or sometimes i'll just throw out a few bugles and uh because you'll get some you might get some responses a lot of times it's going to be like young bulls that have now just joined in with the herd and they're getting all freaked out because the bigger bulls have pulled away but they're like yeah now it's our turn Woohoo! no but no bosses around here to push us around um, one of the things that generally happens as the rut progresses and kind of gets into this October season is a lot of those bigger bulls will either be around the herd, but pull off. So what they're doing is like, they might go in there, check the cows first thing in the morning. And then if nothing's crazy, then they just go off and bed on their own. And then they'll do the same thing in the evening. Um, a few of the kinds of terrain that I'm looking for is the, the cows have just kind of, they're, they're kind of over this whole rut thing. So they're going to be going and moving into these feeding patterns. And a lot of the bigger bulls will start moving into these feeding patterns as well, where they're like, all right, we're tired. Now we can't just be rutting all the time. We got to We got to get food. So, uh, really focusing on those areas that have good feed, any kind of grass. So any openings, whether it's, it's thicker country, maybe a burn, maybe a log cut, maybe a meadow, maybe a, a ridge on the sunny side that's got more sparse timber. Anywhere where it's got that grass, those elk are going to start concentrating because the amount of time they're going to spend feeding is going to increase. Then, you know, so I, I kind of it like it's a later hunt, but also simultaneously hunt it like they're still rutting because you can take advantage of that, that rutting behavior. I would definitely have cow calls um, you know, if something, sometimes you can use that bugle too. It's like, okay, we can use it to locate or use those calls to kind of hold an elk in an area before he moves off and giving you enough time to get into position. And those are some of the things that, I, that I would look for. Um, you know, they, where they're at on the mountain, um, is just going to be kind of dependent on where those food sources are that time of year, because that's going to be their real, like, uh, focus point. And then, you know, for the bigger bulls, if you're like, I just want to find a mature bull, uh, those are going to be kind of a little bit more secluded. They're going to be in those pockets that have that timber, but probably, um, you know, a little bit of feed and they're going to be by themselves. So, or, or oftentimes will be by themselves. There have been times though, that, you know, you'll catch those big bulls still with those herds, uh, cause the cows start to group up a little more this time of year as well. Um, because they're, they aren't split off with so many bulls chasing and whatever they start to group back up, group back up and you get these big herds this time of year. Um, so that's one thing to think about is like, if you see cows, you know, focusing on those cows because the bulls are still going to be checking them out. Gotcha. Gotcha. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. And congrats on your success, man. That's awesome. Mule deer, elk, uh, you guys have been having a pretty good run. So, uh, appreciate keeping me posted on your success and let me know how, this uh, rifle elk hunt turns out. Will do. Thank you, Remy. Appreciate it. Yeah. Have a great one. Catch you later. All right. I'm going to go to our next caller here. Hey, welcome to the podcast. Hey, Remy. This is Tyler from North Carolina. 
me and my uncle and my cousin are actually leaving for Wyoming in two days to go on a unit hunt out there for mule deer. Um, we're hunting in Unit B. It'll be around Gillette. Not a lot of mountainous terrain. So really looking for some more of the flatlands of Wyoming tips is the hunting mule deer, you could say. Yeah, awesome. Well, uh, you're in luck because uh, I just got back from there yesterday. <laughs> so um, oh, wow. okay. I, wasn't, I wasn't in that unit, but I was very close to there and in similar country. Um, I didn't have a deer tag myself, but one of the guys that I was hunting with had a deer tag and uh, got on a lot of bucks. Um, you know, the the thing about that that low country mule deer is, yeah, they, they do behave different and act a little bit different. Um, are you, do you have, are you hunting public land or you have access to some private land? Uh, We're going to be hunting all public. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, one of the things about that kind of country is, um, the deer, like, you know, you got to look at it and assess like what, what you look at it at first and you're like, wow, this is flat. There's nowhere for deer to go. And then you start looking at these little, like we were finding them in these little shaded cuts, right? The bedding areas because there was right. no trees, hardly any timber and out in that prairie. So they're, they're using the shade of the, the hill essentially is these little bedding areas anywhere where there was a, a thick sage pocket, maybe a little bit of a dip or whatever that you could see where they just dig out their beds. And that's what I'd focus on is, is these little canyons. Um, the tactic that I think works real well is, is finding places in the morning where you can say, okay, maybe there's a, you know, you can look at your map and say, maybe there's some food sources around. Maybe there's some uh, river bottoms where there's some good feed. Maybe there's just some mm-hmm. big sage flats and then it's, you know, surrounded by these bluffs and other things and then go, okay, now we're going to focus on the bedding areas. Um, I, I think that cruising along those little canyons and draws is a really good way to find deer. A lot of those deer, I mean, we had the thing where it's like you pop, you see the deer, they disappear. You go, okay, we know where they went. And you pop in there and you're looking and don't see them. And then they blow out from behind some sagebrush because they've got these holes tucked into the stuff that looks nearly flat um, that they're using to just get out of the sun. Um, one of the things that I like about that kind of country is, you know, it's real glassable. So in the mornings, just just get set up where you can cover a little bit of country with your eyes. Cause they'll be on tops of those little bluff things. Right. So they're going to be on top of the areas where that food source is. And then as the morning progresses, they're going to drop into all those little draws and drainages. And then they're going to find a nice place for themselves to bed. Sometimes it's close to where they're feeding. Sometimes they're just going to cruise. Uh, so once you see them, then I start making my way in that direction to try to keep track of where they go and either put them to bed or, or get a shot. Uh, and that's, yeah, I mean, it's really cool country to hunt. And we, we saw quite a few nice deer, so um, I think you guys are going to really enjoy it out there. We've done uh, we've done several hunts in Kansas and been successful there a couple times. And, and I know out there you meet a lot of locals and get a lot of access to, to private land. Do you have any experience with that out there? Yeah, I mean, you know, it, it's one of those things that it doesn't hurt to ask. And, you know, you can check into some of that stuff where there's, you know, sometimes there's public access on private land or whatever. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, th- that's the thing. Some of that country can be pretty desolate. And when you've got like, a, a some kind of ag around, right, it's a magnet for deer. Um, so if you can yeah. get access to somewhere that, that can be a complete game changer. Um, but it's not a hundred percent necessary. You know, the, the other thing is there's, you know, the nice, the one thing about like that more flat low country is there's a lots of roads. 
um, which can be a good right. thing and a bad thing, right? Because sometimes it's like if you can, if there's lots of roads in the area, you might use that to kind of locate, okay, here's a good spot to hunt, but then figure out where, where's a spot in this area that doesn't have a lot of roads. Maybe it's just a, a mile to walk over into this one little pocket or whatever, because you can't see all those little folds. If you find a big canyon, it's like once that canyon disappears down away from the road, um, there's a lot of country in there and it just hides deer. And so kind of just finding those little pockets away from people away from the road and say, okay, I'm going to go down and look into this one. It's got a, a good amount of shade and, and maybe some feet in there and a little bit away from a road where it can hide a deer that somebody else isn't going to see. That's a really good thing to look for. Yeah. We've actually located a couple, a couple very small watering holes and stuff like that out there last year and, and through Onyx and stuff like that. So hoping that holds some deer as well. Yeah. Yeah. Finding that water too, like, um, can be really good. And, and these deer, you know, they're, they're in between that, like bulking up in the summertime and they aren't quite rutting yet. Yeah. Um, so, you know, a lot of their time is going to be spent bedded, honestly. So, you know, moving a lot and just kind of like picking out those areas where they're going to feel safe and hidden is a really good way to hunt that. And the nice thing about that open country is sometimes when you bump one of those deer, if it's a rifle hunt, you're going to get, you know, uh, you might get another shot, give it just, if you bump something, drop down, make a grunt, uh, give it a whistle or something, try and do that stopper call and, and get ready and get on it. And you might be able to get a shot, even if it's not, you know, completely planned. Like sometimes there's, we had a few, we had an instance where it's like we bumped a deer out and we're able to stop it at 25 yards. So you just don't know. Yeah, man. Awesome. Huge, huge follower of the podcast. Really thank you for all the tips. Yeah, man. Well, thanks for calling in. Good luck. Keep me posted. Uh, hopefully I'll see a. A uh, couple uh, pictures of some successful mule deer hunters here soon. So Yeah, man. Uh, yeah. I'll tell you on Instagram for sure. Uh, yeah, right on. Well, have a good one. Thanks, buddy. Enjoy the season. Yep. Bye. All right. Let's go to our next caller here. Hey, welcome to the podcast. Hey there, Remy. How's it going? Yeah, pretty good. Uh, so my name's Will. Uh, I'm from Washington. Uh, I was I was working on elk hunting this year. Uh did an early archery season, but I uh, wasn't able to make it happen. But I do have a late season uh, spike and cow tag uh, in an area where the migration kind of heads down towards the wintering range. So I was just wondering if you had any um, advice on how to like capitalize on the migration um, when calling is not as much uh, of, a, of a point of contention, I guess. Yeah. You know, if I had a spike tag, um, late seasons, when I'd want that spike tag, honestly, um, because that's when the groups start coming back together and the spikes are actually going to move. They're still going to be kind of, sometimes they'll group up together. Uh, a lot of times they'll still be mixed in with the cows. So it makes them a little bit easier to find, uh, how late's the season? Like what time of year is, are we talking? Thinking it's, uh, it's after modern, uh, the modern season, which ends in, early November. So I think it's early to mid November until, uh, the end of November. Oh, perfect. Yeah, no, that, that's a good time of year because you know, what, what you're going to find is, um, the cows and the groups of elk are going to be, uh, kind of like we talked earlier after the rut, but they're, they're focused on food again. Um, and they're grouped up into bigger groups. So, uh, what I like to do is I'm, I'm looking for the, those areas that have that more open feed. Um, th- those areas that's like, uh, you know, can house 
a lot of elk. Um, and what I'm looking for on the spike hunts is probably just trying to pinpoint groups of elk because generally that time of year, they're going to start grouping back up and those, those spikes feel safe being in the herd with the cows. Um, so that's the way that I do that. Uh, generally I try to find those areas where I can kind of do a lot of long range glassing. And what I'm really hoping for is real cold weather. I don't know what the weather gets like where you're at, but the colder the day, the better, because it's going to push those cows into the sun, uh, midday bedding. That's one thing to think about. If it's really cold and you've got snow on the ground, look for those areas that are the south southern facing exposures, because they're going to be out there sitting in the sun on those ridgelines, um, you know, trying to get you know, essentially just warm up. Um, now you, they, the elk are kind of, they're wearing a giant fur coat, so they're always pretty warm. So it's got to be pretty cold, but, um, that's something to think about is like, even in the middle of the day, check those, those sunny South facing slopes, um, because you might find pockets of elk bedded in there. And, uh, and you know, if you find those cows or those other groups, I, I'm fairly certain that you're, you're going to start finding spikes as well. Gotcha. Um, and yeah, I actually just checked the regs and it's, uh, November 23rd through December 8th. So it's kind of later in the season. Um, so they might be kind of more towards that wintering lowland area. Um, yeah. Yeah. So I guess, and I'm also using archery equipment, so I'm not sure if that would change your uh, strategy just so I won't be able to uh, take any shots further than, you know, 50 yards, 60 yards. Yeah. You know, I, I mean, I think a lot of it too is like sometimes when you're, you know, when you're in the elk and where the elk are, um, you know, you can find those, those shots that start to present themselves. Right. So, you know, it's just like the first step is finding the spikes where, you know, that's one thing when it's a, an elk hunt where you kind of have to limit, you aren't limited to just bulls. You aren't limited to just cows. It's like, it's gotta be a, essentially a year old cow with, or a year old bull with only one point on each side. So it limits what you can chase. Um, so the first step is just figuring out where they are, you know, after that, um, you know, it, it's just kind of, a spot and stock game. But the nice thing about like, um, that, that time of year too, is sometimes you'll find like groups of like a couple spikes grouped up together or single spikes on the edge of those, those groups, you know, they kind of move in and out with those herds of cows. Um, so I, I would definitely kind of focus on where the cows at and then kind of, you know, maybe work my way in the, the timber or whatever, if it's timber to sage kind of country on the backside, maybe where there's a little bit of cover um, and just try to kind of play that game of like pinpointing where they are and where they want to be. Another good tactic is like, if you find, let's say you find a herd of elk in the morning that's feeding out in some open area, right? Watch where they're at and say, Oh, there's a spike in that group. Then they're going to go in in bed. And I would probably just go to where they were that, morning and just set up for the afternoon and just be in a position where as they move out, you're, you've got a good stock and a good approach to let them kind of where they're kind of working to you and you're kind of working toward them. Um, because late in the year, they get super patternable and they get pretty predictable. Um, if there's not a lot of, if they're getting chased all over, then it kind of changes the game a little bit. But if you're finding elk that aren't pressured, they generally like to kind of move around less and do the same thing more often. They find safety in that. They get in their herds, they use the pattern for safety and they, they kind of just uh, like they'll go, they'll bed, they'll come out, they'll feed. So kind of intercepting them in between and figuring out ways to kind of uh, move in on bigger groups that way can be really successful. Gotcha. And yeah, so I also have a cow tag so I can target both of those, which I'm oh, guessing perfect. is going to be a lot more, a lot more successful in terms of spotting elk. Um, but yeah. 
So would you say that you would stick to spawn stock rather than setting up on like a, like a game trail um, that they frequent or what, what you, what's your preference? Yeah. I mean, if it's glassable country, I would definitely, you know, move a, a lot until I figure out here's where the concentrations are. And then once I start finding the elk, then I know, okay, they're going to be, they're going to be in and here and, and then hunting that particular area. Um, you know, I like to kind of figure out what they're doing. If it's real thick country, um, you know, and you've got it and you're like, Hey, they're, they're moving down this particular area all the time. Well, then that's, then that changes the game for you. And that's something you can do. But I personally would probably, you know, move around a lot until I found out where they are. Um, and then try to try to sneak in from there. Gotcha. And do the, and would you, would you say they bed down pretty often in the late season? I know it's a lot colder out, so they don't really have to get away from the sun as much. Yep. Yeah. I mean, sometimes, like I say, if it's real cold, they bed down a lot. They'll be actually bedded in the sun. So, um, that makes it a lot easier to spot them. <laughs> it's actually one of like, if there's a big storm, like the best time to hunt elk late season is after, uh, like if it snows or it's cloudy and then it, you've got snow on the ground and then it clears up the next day. And that those, once those clouds move, that temperature really drops and it pushes the elk out into the sun. And that's the best time to hunt. So if you got a little bit of time and you, you have, you hit that weather where it's like snow and then that temperature drops the next day. Uh, once it clears, that's, uh, you can't ask for anything better for elk hunting really. Gotcha. That's great information. I appreciate it. Yeah. Well, good luck to you. Hopefully it works out. Yeah. Thank you very much. Yep. Happy hunting. You too. Bye. All right. got another call here. Let's jump into it. Hey, welcome to the podcast. Hey, how you doing? Yeah, pretty good. Who am I talking to? Hey, this is Jared. I'm calling from Central Texas. Yeah, right on, man. Yeah, two quick questions. First of all, God bless you, man. You're awesome. You're an incredible asset to the wider hunting community. So thank you for doing what you're doing. Seriously. Yeah, thanks. I appreciate that. But, yeah, first question in regards to to mule deer hunting. As I mentioned, I'm in Texas, and, you know, we're in the land of of private land and high-fence game ranches. But uh, I have a unique opportunity to do a public land mule deer hunt in North Texas in mid-October. And the location, it's actually a a pretty large lake that sits at about 3,000-foot elevation. And all around the lake, there's, there's cap rock canyons and there's there's cliff ledges and there's about 100 foot of elevation between the the lake bottom and and those canyons and i was wondering how you would approach setting up on some of those knobs to would you would you be glassing and sitting or would you be trying to move through some of those those ridge lines on the cap rock how would you approach that yeah, I mean some some of that kind of country, it's it's difficult to move around a lot, you know. Um, I imagine that if there's a lake in the bottom, then the the water kind of drains from those canyons down to that lake, yep. so it's it probably creates a it, it's like one mountain with a lot of ridges coming down. And I, I don't know the area, but I would probably try to get to a spot where I could look into a bunch of those places. Sometimes that might be getting further away than you think. Um, getting down, getting your, your, you know, binoculars or tri like getting your tripod out and really, especially in the mornings and evenings, really just scanning and gridding that country. Maybe it might be from a little ways away, um, because it, it, it's open enough country where you should be able to spot some stuff. Uh, if the, if you're looking, you know, and maybe that might depend on like, okay, well, 
I don't know which way you'd be looking, but you generally on that, like if it's the morning or the evening, one of those times the sun will be at your back and it's going to really sure. light that canyons up and really make those mules start to pop. Um, that would be my tactic for that. Now, if that, if I couldn't find a spot for that, then yeah, I would definitely, you know, cause there's going to be a lot of things in those, those little guts and canyons. Like I talked to the guys that were going to Wyoming that you just can't see. Um, and moving a lot makes a big difference. And in that October timeframe, those, a lot of those deer are just going to be bedded. Um, they're going to be saving up that energy for the rut. Um, they're going to be thinking about cruise. They're going to be cruising a lot, but not yet. Um, so a combination of getting back and glassing when that sun's perfect for it. And then, um, you know, maybe you see a deer in a specific, specific Canyon. They're, they're probably going to be pretty near to where you saw them last. So I don't, I think they're going to be like out of the time of year that mule deer is most patternable, if you can call them patternable, they've got their little zones and they're going to be close to those zones. So once you spot one, you know, then maybe it gives you an idea, okay, this is where I'm going to hunt in that particular spot. Um, and then that other option of just, you know, moving and looking into those canyons, checking out from, you know, hunting it from the top of the ridge and looking down and, and peeking over. Um, I would pick the side that has like where you you're looking into the shade, right? So, um, pick the side that's the, sh the most shaded and then hunt the opposite side of that. So you can be glassing into the shade as opposed to having them down below you. Cause that's probably the side that they're going to be on during the daytime. Um, and then I think but the combination of those two things should, should do really well. Good deal. Thanks, sir. Appreciate it. Yeah. Well, best of luck to you, man. And uh, make sure to send me a picture. I, I actually apply for a lot of those Texas tags. So I don't know if it was an application one or what, but uh, shoot me a sh shoot me a picture if you end up how you end up doing. Yeah, will do. It's cool to hear that you're applying out here in Texas. But uh, this will be the this will be the first mule deer hunt, first first hunt of its kind that I'll be doing. So I appreciate all the help. Awesome. Yeah. Well, good luck out there. Have a good one. Thanks, sir. You too. Catch you later. Yep. Bye. All right. We got another call coming in here. Hey, how's it going, man? Uh, it's going great. This is uh, Jacob. I'm in Louisville, Kentucky, the home of bourbon and oh, uh, right. the Kentucky Derby. How about that? Yeah. My brother actually uh, got married very close to there. Oh, awesome. Um, well, I, you know, before I get to my questions, I, I do want to ask, how is your wrist doing? I know we've heard about you using the finger tab or whatever. How's that, how's that going for you? Uh, it's going all right. You know, I, I'm getting a little bit of, I'm trying to get it moving again. I got it out of all the casts and stuff finally, but still not drawing a regular bow. I'm still using the mouth tab thing, um, which is in some points times frustrating. Sometimes it just adds that little bit of challenge. I actually picked up the recurve last week and tried to kill an antelope spot in stock with a mouth tab recurve. I was like, man, I'm just glutton for punishment, I think. Um, but, you know, in the meantime, just trying to rehab it and get it moving again. I hope that I'll have good use of it in the future. But, uh, yeah, just going through the through the paces and trying to get it uh, back working again, really. And I, I uh, every now and then I'll have physical limitations for one reason or another. And it's the most frustrating things where so we take our health for not not for granted but just sometimes it just it's like wait a minute why is my shoulder not working the way it's supposed to work or my you know my calf or whatever but um hang in there and uh, hopefully things will be better on the other side um yeah you know i i, I did want to ask a couple of years ago um i had a chance to elk hunt montana uh first year was successful a couple of years ago not so much but 
one thing I, I we came across when we were hunting is you could smell an area that it was smelled elky. And, yep. uh, you know, you know, I don't, I don't have the, the, the extensive experience hunting elk like you. And I was just curious, like, how long have you found that elk scent sort of remains in an area? And do you sort of prioritize that above other, like, I mean, obviously it's very fresh, obviously it's a good sign, but I was just curious what your thoughts are around that. Like do you sort of hone in on that area or what? Oh yeah. I mean, smelling elk is a way that we kill a lot of elk. So there's a few things and I know, um, you know, I think that's actually probably one of our first podcasts on this. We, we dive into kind of a little bit of the elk smell, but you know, one thing that, um, you're, you're smelling a couple different things. So sometimes you're smelling where elk have been and sometimes you're smelling like elk. Now the, the main time you smell elk is a bedding area or uh, it depends on the time of year, a wallow. So if it's in September and you like smell elk real strong, it, a lot of that comes from a wallow. Most of the time you smell it when in, in a bedding area. Um, during the September timeframe, that, that scent can last on the ground a lot longer um, because they just, they cover themselves in wallow piss. They make all this, you know, just peeing all over everything. And then they lay down in the grass and it sticks there. Um, you know, one thing that, you can kind of start to gauge is, is okay, you smell the elk. Um, you know, in some ways, like it, it can, it's weird, but it's like, does it smell fresh, right? Is it like they were just here? And, and I start to look around for that sign and use that sign that I find. Uh, sometimes you'll find a bed and you go, I'll put my hand in the bed and I'll rub it through it and then smell my hand and go, okay, this is where that scent's coming from. Sometimes you'll find, uh, you know, other sign of like, okay, here's, fresh droppings, here's fresh tracks. Uh, now it kind of gives us a better time frame of when those elk were there. But there's a lot of times where we're walking around, we smell elk and we go, okay, now we got we to gotta hone in. We got to heighten our senses. When were they here? Why were they here? Where are they going to go next? And there's many times, once you figure that out, um, you, you're going to find that you can get in on those elk a lot quicker. Uh, just it was a couple weeks ago, um, was with a client we're elk hunting we're walking this old logging road there it's like sniff whoa we can smell elk right uh just kind of creep up now and i see a bed I, I run my hand through the bed i go they were here and i think that they were here within like the last few hours so we decided we bugle and sure enough a bull had been bedded there walked down bugled the wind wasn't good we circled around um, we started moving in and as we're moving in now the wind's dropping and we could smell elk and it was a different smell. It still smelled like elk. Well, you know, now we can smell the bull. Uh, we know we're close. We did the right uh, calling sequence. Uh, one of the other guys that uh, worked with me was with me. So he called. We moved in and we shot. We killed that bull. And we first smelled it. Then we found where he was. Then we kind of moved around. Then we smelt the bull in that thicker timber. So um, using your nose, definitely a really good way uh, to find out, but what I like to do is investigate where that smell is coming from and, and why I'm smelling it and then try to figure out, okay, what, what's that next move that that elk's going to make, if that makes sense. Yeah, it does. I, I just thought that was interesting. And at the time, and, and I, um, you know, we really, it was a short trip. We didn't have enough time to really, we, we did find, you know, a bull, but it, it just didn't come together. But I just, it was one of those things that I'd always thought about. And I just thought, well, you know, obviously it's good. It's it's good sign. It's you know like a fresh track or a fresh cat or whatever. But it's yeah. uh, kind of curious, and, and it wasn't a, a situation where there was a wallow. And it, it probably was more to your point a bedding, and maybe you know a bull had been wallowing, and, and sort of, or, or maybe it was just you know 
something else. But, um, you know, I guess my next question is I hear a lot about like resident elk and migratory elk. I know you were talking to a gentleman previously. Uh, he's hunting late season. And I obviously I understand the dynamic of, you know, a heavy winter pushing elk down. But but how does resident elk and migratory elk relate to like elk in September? Is there a sort of a variable there or is it, you know, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah. I mean, um, you know, in September, you know, it, it just depends like the elk, a resident elk, I would consider an elk that kind of never leaves the area. Right. Um, so they're always in that particular area. Now, certain areas, um, there's a lot of areas that I hunt where you go in there in September and there's elk and you go in there in November and there's more elk, right? Because there's elk that move in from other areas. Um, I think that like, uh, are you saying like, how do you decide whether an area has resident elk or migratory elk? Yeah. I, I'm just curious because I'll hear the people, folks talk about that, but I don't understand like, how does that, what does that mean for someone in September or, or October? And, and do you sort of factor that into maybe areas that you're hunting personally? Like, okay, I know there's a herd here, but also I have an, you know, this is an area where some elk migrate to at certain times of the year. I just, uh, and I didn't know what the variable is. Is it security? Is it is it food? Is, do you find that it's more bulls, more or cows, or is it based on a tough winter in a certain area? I just didn't know oh, that, that there were some other factors that sort of created that, but in how it would play out in September or maybe early October. Yeah, I mean, I think well, you know, in September, early October, like in September. If you're in an area that normally gets migration elk, most of those elk are moving in because where they spend an earlier part of the year is unsustainable for the winter. So they like maybe an area that has a real high plateau, right, where it's it's just real bad winter. So those elk that in that area have to move to this other area to survive the winter. Now, where they're moving to probably has elk as well. Um, elk that just don't move. They're elk that live there. And those ones, um, you know, like, as the season progresses, more elk just keep coming in, but nothing really affects the way that you hunt those ones that live there all the time, uh, unless you're talking about hunting them later once those other elk have moved in. Uh, but at that point, you know, you just your population increases uh, as the season goes on. Um, but, you know, when you're chasing those migratory, or sorry, when you're chasing those resident elk, um, you know, you don't really have to worry about those migrating elk because they aren't moving in until later. So um, I don't know if that answers your question, but I'd say like the, the difference is an area that those migration elk are leaving a certain place. So it only affects you later on. Like if you're in an area that can't sustain elk late season and they move out of there and you're hunting it late, then it makes no sense. You aren't going to find very much because they've moved somewhere else. But if you're in an area where elk move into, there probably already are elk there because it's got suitable habitat essentially year round. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. So maybe it's more of a late season sort of thing where you're thinking of, you know, they're trying to find relocate to based on food and, and other yep. means. But yeah, yeah, that, yeah, that's cool. I appreciate that because I, um, you know, just trying to think about that dynamic. I, I was like, well, how does that play out in September, or does it? And and I, it makes a lot of sense. So, well, hey, thank you, man, for uh, all yep. you're doing. Really appreciate uh, the podcast and uh, best of luck the rest of the year. Yeah. Thanks. Appreciate it. Have a good one. All right. We're going to jump to our next caller here. Welcome to the podcast. Hey, I'm Sean from Southern Utah. Right on, Sean. Well, before you start your question, uh, 
congratulations because you are the winner of the Stone Glacier Solus One Person Tent. I uh, have oh, my awesome. system here randomly assigned you as the winner. Uh, so congratulations, man! You get uh, it's a it's an incredible tent. I got to test it out through the various stages of design and gave a little bit of feedback as well. And now it's it's uh, I think it's one of the best tents out there. I'm really excited that it finally uh, is available for people. So I think you're going to really enjoy it. If you ever um, I, the nice thing about it, it's it's lightweight but it's roomy and it's built for like, That's you've awesome. got your gear. It's so it dude, it's a, it's a great tent. So I'm um, pretty stoked for you. Um, so yeah, yeah let's, uh, awesome. information. Uh, you can just shoot me a direct message after this on Instagram, if you got it. Uh, and we'll jump into your question too. All right. So recently I, I drew two tags this year. So I drew a limited entry archery on, in Southern Utah. So it's more, desert climate and so i was actually able able to harvest my first archery bull elk which oh cool was a seven by six so i couldn't complain but uh now coming october i have a early season mule deer hunt and that's also southern utah and my question is with lower elevation we're about 3400 to 6400 in elevation yeah. How different is that going to be from upper alpine, more higher deer? Like, what am I looking for? Because in sage and junipers versus actual areas with grass and nice scenery. Yeah. I mean, you know, if I had to choose between the two areas to hunt mule deer, my preferred habitat is going to be what you're talking about. Um, you know, deer, deer like that browse, that sage country. Uh, you find those good sage pockets, you're going to find mule deer. Um, you know, in that pinion juniper country, you know, one thing you want to think about is is the type of country you're in. Pinion juniper country, um, it holds big deer. It doesn't hold, I mean, it can hold a lot, a lot of deer, but it's the the way that things grow, it's, it's kind of like those pinion juniper trees are pretty soil leaching, so they kind of kill um, a lot of the nutrients around and it prevents stuff that the deer like. Um, not that they don't live in there cause they live in there cause it's thick and <laughs> nasty country and hard to find deer in. Right. And they survive to get some age on it. You can turn up a freaking good buck in that country because it's hard to kill them in there. Um, so what I look for in that kind of country is that combination of that thick stuff. And then those openings, those sage pockets in that PJ is really good. Maybe places where they've done, they do chainings where they get these two giant, dozers and they put a giant chain between them and they just drag it through that stuff and rip it all out. What they're trying to do is they're trying to create habitat um, by opening up some of that that stuff where things can grow, where uh, sagebrush can go, where uh, serviceberry, buckbrush, other browse, right? Um, so, so those are going to be the places that I start to look toward. Um, you know, in that kind of stuff, a lot of times they have plenty of cover. Um, and so the thing that's in limited supply is that forage and that feed. Uh, so that's the kind of, kind of stuff that I'm going to start gravitating towards. Did you say it's a, is it a limited entry deer tag or kind of a more of a general deer tag? No, this one's a general public land deer tag. Yep. Yeah. You know, in that country too, I mean, I talked, oh, there's some guys earlier in, in some of that country, there's kind of roads all over. Um, and, and once again, you know, moving a lot can be beneficial, but I, I like to look for those places that are a little, those pockets that are just a little bit out of the way where it's got those things that we're looking for. 
Um, but it's just a little bit out of the way. Another thing that I look for in that more flat, rolly country is those knobs. Like that change in terrain uh, tends to attract deer. And one thing when you've got lower elevation, you've got kind of those hills and, and all this like canyons in other country. And then sometimes you'll have these hills that make these knobs. Mule deer like that because the, it, it kind of, it messes the wind in their favor. Like it, it pushes wind toward them. So they have better options for bedding um, and better options for smelling and hearing and seeing and all that good stuff. Right. So kind of uh, analyzing the terrain and maybe looking toward those knobs in other places. If you can find one of those knobs out there, it's just a little bit different type of terrain than everything else that has some of that sage pocket that also has some of that cover. I think that's a really good place to kind of focus, especially if it's a little bit of ways way from the road okay and then being that it's a little earlier season than the general deer hunt would i just attack that the same way yeah correct um you know that's the hard part is like it's at a time of year when it's very difficult to find deer um they're going to be in that thicker stuff um if you find a buck right and you're like okay he's here maybe you saw him once he came out you get over there and, and you can't relocate that deer in the open sometimes just still hunting through that thicker country where you see a lot of deer sign i mean i've i've had success on deer in places where i know it's like i know a deer's living in here i just he just won't come out and we're literally just crawling on our hands and knees like we're stalking through that stuff um and glassing as you're crawling i mean just glass moving slow um you aren't covering a lot of country that way but it's when you know it's like okay i know there's a deer that would live in this good pocket I just got to find him. Um, we've killed deer that way that time of year of like knowing, okay, maybe you've seen them other early. Maybe is this a place where you were hunting archery season as well? Um, no, I, close, but not quite. Yep. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. No, I wasn't sure if you just had some already some intel on like, okay, a different time of year, uh, bucks are hanging out here. Um, but if not, you know, it's, it's just going to be that game of, of moving, finding those places that deer are going to prefer. And then when you finally locate where the deer are at, the bucks are at, um, kind of just keep hunting those places or places that are similar to that. One thing that I do this time of year too, is like when I do find deer, um, drop some pins and flip it, your map to your, like, I'll use my go up map and I'll just, I'll drop a pin where the buck is. Then I'll switch it to that topo layer and say like, what land features is this deer liking? What side of the hill is he on? What is, what's here? Is you know, is it open? Is it close? You know, and then look for other areas that look like that and start dropping waypoints on those and checking those areas because it's going to build out a little bit of a plan of like other places you might find bucks. If you're finding them here, why are they here? And then find places that kind of mimic that. Um, you know, early season though, especially general units, the trouble is just finding bucks. So really just picking apart that country and finding those locations that are away from other places, but have what they need. I think that that's going to be your ticket. Perfect. Awesome. I appreciate it. Thank you for all you do. I appreciate it. Yeah. Right on, man. Well, best of luck. Um, if you have, you have Instagram. I do. Yes. Okay. Send me a direct message on there and, uh, about, your your win today and i will get the tent sent out to you congratulations again awesome thank you very much take care yep you too have a good one all right we're gonna go to one last caller here hey welcome to the podcast hey this is tanner in california how you doing remy yeah pretty good how's it going tanner <clears throat> good hey i actually leave tomorrow for a cow moose hunt uh in colorado i uh, never hunted moose before. Uh, watched a lot of videos and um, some of your podcasts and talking about calling bull moose. Should I be listening for cows uh, or just strictly glassing? 
Yeah. I mean, um, you know, it never hurts to kind of listen for cows, but I, you know, most of the time you, you aren't going to hear, there's very few times I've been out and just heard a cow unless it's an area with a lot of moose. You're like, Oh yeah, I hear a cow calling over there. Um, for the most part glassing, uh, what I'd be focused on is those kind of, um, I mean, if you can, the, the wet areas, the feed areas, um, I don't know what kind of country you're going to be hunting in. Sometimes, uh, early season moose can be actually pretty high up on the mountain. Um, and I'll find them in those areas where it's like, uh, got mm, alders or some kind of good, like browse. They like those like willows, alders, woody forage, I guess if you call it. Um, and sometimes that stuff's up a little bit higher on the mountain than you would think, but then also finding those pockets where it's like seepy wet, classic, you know, classic moose territory. One thing you always think about is moose around, um, water sources. And, and that, that is generally true. Like they do like that wet country because they like the food and forage that's there for them. Um, another, another thing is, you know, I don't know, uh, the area you're hunting in, is it more, um, open, like willow bottom kind of country or is it more like mountain country? Well, it's, I've never actually been, I didn't, I drew it on a, uh, someone returned a tag, so I didn't have a chance to scout, but that's pretty much what I'm going to be looking for is that willow bottom, but I am, the unit goes between 8,000 and 10,000 feet. So, um, yep. at, at the higher end, right. So I was going to look for that, those riparian areas, stay in the kind of the Creek bottom areas. Um, the next question I have is, do they, we just got back from an antelope hunt. Obviously, you can hunt those all day. Are they more uh, morning and evening kind of animals, the moose? Yeah, definitely more morning and evening. Um, yeah, definitely more morning and evening, I would say. Um, you know, but y- y- you can spot them bedded. Uh, one thing, if you got, like, they like, like, that, even if you can find, like, that, some kind of terraced bedding. Sometimes you'll see, like, old log cuts. Um, where it's like it's terraced logging cuts in the mountain. Uh, they bet on that a lot. Another thing that I do do, and I, I just noticed this when we're hunting for bulls, is like we'll be up on a spot and we'll call. We'll throw out those cow calls. It's good to do that often because what you might get is you might not get one to reply, but sometimes they'll just stand up. And that's all you need is sometimes you need a moose to stand up when they're, they'll be bedded a lot. So if you can just get them to stand up, it makes it a lot easier to spot them. I know even last year we were in an area and throwing out a moose call and like nothing, nothing, nothing. And then another moose call. And then I look over and, Oh, there was a bull and a, or I mean a a cow just bedded on one of those like little logging roads. And now she's clear as day. But when she was laying there, we had no clue she was even there. Oh, okay. There's moose here. There's a cow here. Perfect. Um, so that's something to think about is just throwing out those calls and just, trying to get them to stand up sometimes uh they they get up they put their ears up and listen because they're they're curious as well so um sometimes just throwing out those those moaning cow calls can get a cow that's bedded to stand up and give you an advantage of like just if it looks good and looks moosey throw out some of those calls and see what happens um because you might get a cow or whatever to stand up all right awesome yeah i wasn't even going to try calling since i just had a cow tag but i will give that a shot if we think we're in a moosey looking area and then i'll uh, yeah, let it, you know how we do yeah, it just doesn't hurt, you know. You're sitting there, you're glassing, and you're like, I don't see any moose. A moose, a lot of people think, oh, moose are easy to see, and they are when they're out in the open. But most of the time, they're in some stuff that makes it difficult to see them, and they they stand a lot. They don't walk as much as you would like, right? So they're standing and looking right. most of the time. So 
um, you know, don't be afraid to really pick it apart. Yeah, I think you guys will do good. Well, good luck on that, man. That'd be that'd be cool. Bring home some good meat. All right, thanks, man. Thanks for everything you do. Yeah, best of luck to you. Thanks. Well, that concludes this episode of our Live Wild Live. Thank you guys so much for calling in. I see that there's quite a few of you still on the line that didn't get through. So uh, we will be doing these every month. Make sure to call back next time. Uh, thanks again for Stone to Stone Glacier for giving us a really incredible prize this week. I'm really stoked about that tent. Uh, if you're in the market for a tent, that's a really good one to check out. The Solus One Person. Um, it's 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 awesome for backcountry hunting and all that good stuff. So until next week, guys, just live wild. Make sure to send me your success stories, photos. I've uh, been really appreciating all that, and we'll catch you guys all later. <laughs>